Good morning, Mission View. Great to see you all this morning. If this is your first time here, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, and I'm so glad you're here uh, worshiping with us this morning. Maybe you're joining us online for the first time. We're so glad that you're with us online as well. Uh, we've been in a sermon series called uh, Train Like a Champion. We're in 1 Corinthians. So right away, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 13 through 33. Now, last week, uh, we um, took a uh, kind of a page out of the head coach from the Browns book, but we found out that it was actually a page out of Paul's book in 1 Corinthians. And we talked about our history, our heroes, our heartaches, and our hopes. And um, we looked at the history of the church. We looked at the history of God's people. And what we saw was God's faithfulness. We also saw humans' sinfulness, human nature. And, it, and we saw how God just works his will and his ways through the history of time and through human hearts. It's this amazing thing in our history. And then we looked at our heartaches and, and some of the heartaches that we've had when we try and take control of our lives and we try and, you know, when things aren't going our way, when things don't go the way we had planned. We kind of get to the tendency of getting our hands dirty, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And sometimes we do, when we do that without prayer, when we do that without seeking God first, man, we get into all kinds of a mess. Then we talked about our hero. We have a hero in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, and, and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and me. He's preparing a place for us, and that points to our hope our hope for life in eternity. And it was just a powerful part of this letter to the church in Corinth that Paul wrote. So if you didn't get a chance to take in last week's sermon, check it out online. Just really cool what God was showing us uh, through that, that um, section of Scripture. So check that out. This week, we are um, taking it from uh, verse 13 to 33, and I'm really excited about this. We got some, some really good practical stuff as Paul really is getting to the living out the Christian life, this journey of Christianity that we have together, how we apply God's word, his truth to our lives, how it affects us. It's really, really good stuff. Let's pray before we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time of worship that we've had today. And we say again and again and again, great are you, Lord. There is no one like you. You stand above all others. King of kings, Lord of lords. And, to, and Father, this morning we humbly come before you recognizing your greatness. We open up your word and we admit that it is God-breathed, that it is our authority, our guidance for our good and for your glory. We pray even now that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and our lives, changing us and growing us, making us the people that you've called us to be. We admit that we haven't arrived yet. And we wait for the day when you will arrive. So, Father, have your way in us. May your truth change us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I want to mention uh, before we jump right into the text here is that one of the overarching themes in 1 Corinthians, and we've known this from the very start, is church unity. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth so that they would be unified. So as we're learning all these different things, one of, the, one of the things we need to keep as a firm foundation is this, that God wants us to be drawn together in unity in him. And that's really an underlying truth to everything Paul writes. 
and especially what we're going to see today. And he points it out again today. I'm going to pick it up in actually verse 12. It's going to give us a little bit of context as we look into verse 13. Verse 12 starts out, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We kind of ended last week's sermon right there, and we talked about humility. We talked that pride comes before a great fall, and we said that God's word says that when we're prideful, we're actually on the wrong team that God opposes the proud. So, so that's kind of where he's getting. He's talking about pride, and he goes on and says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. You might want to underline that, highlight that, circle that, put a star beside it. Great statement. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we're going to stop right there. I'm going to do it a little differently today because we have a huge chunk of Scripture. So instead of reading the whole thing, I'm going to take it section by section. So we're going to stop right here. And the first thing I want to pull out of today's text for us is this. God is faithful. He sustains us through the test. He sustains us through the test. First, we're going to have to do a little bit of Greek word study here, all right? Everybody got your seminary hats on? Any New Testament Greek theologians here today? All right, good. Here we go. The Greek word being used for temptation here is pyrosmos, and it means temptation, test, or trial. Now, more than half of its uses in Scripture are in regards to trials or tests, but it's here said temptation. But it's important for us to, to recognize this, this word and kind of its, its whole meaning. Um, so it's not just temptations that, that's being referenced here. It's trials and tests as well. Now, those are different things, right? Temptations, you think about temptations encroaching, encroaching on us, things that may want to draw our attention or things we shouldn't do, but, you know, maybe our flesh likes to do, but we know we shouldn't, those kinds of things. Now, trials and tests are completely different, right? When we talk about trials and tests, I mean, we can go through sufferings in this life that are, that are trials that we work through, you know, all these different things. So there's, there's a bigger picture here. There's a deeper meaning to than just temptations. And I really wanted to point that out because I think it's really important for us, especially with the truth that, that God's getting through to us. All of these meanings encapsulate a ton of different circumstances in our lives. Chances are we are being tempted going through a trial or a test right now. Chances are that you are probably experiencing one of those three things in your life right now. And here's one thing I know. If you're not, you probably will soon, <laughs> right? This, this life isn't easy. This life is tough. And we face all different types of trials and temptations and struggles in this life. Now, it would be easy for us to look at this text and think that the, the key phrase in this text is, is your ability. That God wouldn't test you beyond your ability, or you're not going to be tempted beyond your ability. When, in fact, the key phrase here is this. God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, this is an interesting text, too, because I think this is one of the scriptures that is probably taken out of context and misquoted more than, than a lot of other scriptures that we see misquoted all the time. Terribly, terribly inaccurate, right? 
And it's this, is that God's not going to ever give you anything you can't handle. Anybody ever heard that? Just me? Okay, there's one other, two, three. Okay, good. Oh, all right there. Okay, good. You're with me here. You've heard that, right? God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. And they, they take it from this text, right? Well, here's, here's how that saying should be stated. God will not give you anything you can't handle with him, right? We, we tend to forget. It's so funny. We, we, we tend to read scripture like we're at the center of it, right? Like we read this text and God is faithful kind of fades into the background and our ability comes to the forefront, right? It's, it's all about our ability and our strength and, and how powerful we are and how when all of scripture is really meant to point to Christ, that God is faithful. He will not put us to in places where he can't bring us out of because of his faithfulness, right? God is faithful. What, what does it actually mean, though, that God is faithful? I mean, that's a big statement. I mean, three words, God is faithful, but it says so many things. It means that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. It means that he is always with us. It means that he's going to do what he says he will do. It means that he is true. That his goodness isn't based on our faithfulness. His love isn't based on my performance. It means that when you're in the fire, you're not alone. When you face a mountain, you are facing this mountain with the one who created the mountains. God is faithful. He goes on to say that this dealing with temptation, trials, or testing isn't uncommon. It isn't uncommon. All of us, all of us at times will go through the tough stuff. But the important thing to remember is you are not alone. Chances are this uncommon, it's not uncommon. Chances are someone close to you, someone around you, maybe someone even here in this church, maybe in your community group has gone through that same struggle. Have you ever had that time in your life you're, you're facing something so difficult that it just shakes you to your very core and you're on your knees, you're like, God, I never thought I would have to face anything like this. This is so hard. And you know, in those times, we have a tendency to withdraw and isolate and, and just go into our own safe little place. And, and that's like the worst thing we can do. Let me just say that right up front. Like if you're going through something really, really difficult, don't isolate, don't withdraw. Go to your community group, talk to your trusted Christian friends, share the struggle because chances are, Somebody, one of them, has probably faced something similar to what you're facing. Maybe it won't be exactly the same, but it'll be really close. And maybe it is exactly the same thing. Share those struggles. You are not alone. Don't go through it alone. There's that unity thing again, right? It just keeps popping up that Paul's telling us, come together. You are not alone. He goes on, check it out in verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, 
for we all partake of the one bread. Man, I love this picture of communion, this idea that communion paints this picture of unity, that we are one. And that's the, the second fill-in in your notes today is this, is that we walk this journey together. We walk this journey together. One of the purposes of communion is to show our unity in Christ. That all of us, every single one of us, were sinners in need of a Savior. And that Jesus died for you and me. That in unity we come together recognizing the perfect life that Christ lived that you and I could never live. Recognizing the sinner's death that he died in our place. It unifies us. And you know, the other cool thing about that too is it levels the playing field. There is no holier than thou going on, man. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, unified. This is, this is a great picture that we're getting here. When we take the cup and the bread, we are remembering the great sacrifice Christ made, remembering the sins that we have been forgiven of, and remembering that we are the church, a people set apart by God for God. This is that unity. He's answering now. It's important for us right here to remember that Paul is writing this. He's answering questions the church in Corinth had regarding their worship times and Christian living. It's interesting because they were confused about what was appropriate for them to do now that they were Christians and not living in the pagan world and doing pagan worship. They worshiped before they were Christians in other religious temples, and they had indulged, overindulged in, in overeating and sexual immorality. But now that they were saved, they had this thing called Christian liberty or Christian freedom. And they had freedom in Christ. So they were, they could, they were thinking to themselves, oh, we can do whatever we want to do now. We have real freedom, freedom in Christ. And I was thinking about this. And I, I was thinking, this is kind of where our minds can go in the wrong direction as well. You know, as this, we work through Christian liberties and our Christian freedom, it's good for us to take note of because here's what I'm getting at. We've all done what I'm about to talk about. The church of Corinth had asked Paul the wrong questions. They were worried about the wrong stuff. Their question, in essence, was this. What can I get away with and still be considered Christian, Paul? <laughs> what, can we, what can we get away? What can we do? How far can we go and still be called a Christian? Have you ever caught yourself doing that? You're, you're thinking to yourself, you're working through something, and you're like, should I go to that movie? I mean, could I get away with that, you know? Should I read that book? I mean, I don't know. It's a little risque, right? What I, I mean, you know, I, gotta, I have to, you know, I have to represent, you know, I'm a Christian. Can I get away with this? You know, I think one of the struggles, one of the deep Christian struggles is this. We have to fight the tendency towards mediocrity. Sometimes our pursuit of holiness lackadaisically turns into a pursuit of shallowness when we ask the wrong question, when we're asking the wrong questions. Paul is bringing in a foundational Christian perspective. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not about what you want. It's not about what 
you want to get away with. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. It's a relational doing life with others as the church. And the freedoms we have in Christ are lived out in consideration of others. When we become a part of the church, we are meant to live out our lives together or do life together. Therefore, when we think through what we are doing, we have to ask ourselves, is this beneficial to the whole body? Not just me, myself, and I. Do you see how that question that they're asking is so backwards? What can I get away with and, and still be considered a Christian? Not, not even concerned about what other people around them would think of what they were doing. A whole paradigm shift has to happen. If we're going to walk out unity, a whole paradigm shift has to happen. When we become a part of the church, we are meant to live out our lives together for one another. When we begin to put others first, think of others first, be more concerned about others first, think of them as better than ourselves and this is where God's pointing us. And this is where Paul's getting at. Let's take it up in verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good. Wow. Let's just stop there for a second. Let no one seek his own good? Underline that for just a second. Think about that for just a moment. That is, that's a crazy statement. What's Paul really getting at? Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. The fill-in right here, number three, is this, that do what is helpful, do what builds others up. Here's the reality we live in. What we do has consequences beyond ourselves. What we do has consequences beyond ourselves. And, and tr truthfully, church, this is Christianity 101. We live lives of selflessness and sacrifice because Jesus did the same for you and me. Don't ask, what can I get away with? But rather ask, what can I do that would be a good example to my brothers and sisters in Christ and those in the world around me. What would build them up? What would encourage them? That's a completely different perspective, isn't it? it this is a huge paradigm shift. I don't know about you, but I get so caught up in the busyness of life, the work of life, my own spiritual growth, right? Like I'm like looking for the next Bible study or Bible reading plan or book that will really grow me spiritually and, and do that work of sanctification that I'm always seeking that the Holy Spirit would do in me and, and grow these different things. And the next thing I know, I'm only thinking about myself. 
Where does, it, where does that shift happen? Where do we go from this almost odd, weird self-focus to what will build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? What can I do that will, that will help my brother grow in Christ? Going to community groups, what can I bring? What actions can I take? How can I share from God's word tonight that would build up my community group? This real, I mean, this outward focus, this idea of unity and thinking of others first, that Philippians verse, you know, this powerful selflessness. Let no, he says, it says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul's pointing out the church in Corinth's selfishness. Listen, you guys are asking me all these questions about what food to eat and what you can do and what you can get away with. Knock it off. Don't think about yourselves. Think about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, this is our purpose statement as a church. Love God, love others. It's who we are. It's what God has created us for, that we would love him and love others. Christianity 101, the great commandment. Love God, love others. Our love for others will only be limited by our love for God. It's, it's no coincidence that in the great commandment, God states, love God first and then love others. Love God first, then love others. Because here's what happens. As we fall more and more in love with God through Christ, through his word, as we recognize that great sacrifice that Christ has made for us, and over and over as we look at the cross and we look at the, at the sacrifice and then we look at our own lives and we see our own failure, failures and weaknesses and we think to ourselves, how in the world would Christ die for me? And this, this idea of the cross becomes more and more personal. It's, it's not just this guy who died 2,000 years ago on a hill on a cross. But it's a personal Savior, this Jesus Christ who came and hung on the cross. And, and as he hung there on the cross, he saw Matt help. And he saw all the sinfulness and darkness in my heart and in my life. Every sinful choice, action, and thought I would take and make. And still chose to hang there for me. As we go through this, this idea and growth and understanding of this great sacrifice and this great God and goodness of God that we, we have in Christ, we really start to appreciate the good news, the gospel. We fall more and more in love with God through what Christ has done. And when we recognize that, I don't know about you, but I think to myself, I'm like, man, God did that for me? I don't deserve it. There's nothing in my life that would earn or merit that kind of love. We think to ourselves, man, other people need to know about this. Man, if God can save a sinner like me, man, I got to go tell people what he's done in my life. This has changed me. I mean, I, it was a 180. I was totally selfish on this road of, of what I could gain for myself. And God changed me, turned me directly around. Man, I recognize this grace and mercy that is unbelievable. I got to tell people about this. 
love God, love others. It's this journey. It's the revelation of God's sacrificial, long-suffering, never-ending, undeserved, unearned love that inspires and motivates our love for Him. And as our love for God grows more and more, it compels us to love others. It's this inevitable, undeniable, cyclical journey that God has every single Christian on right now. He is drawing you nearer and nearer. And he's doing it through temptation, trials, struggles, suffering. Sometimes we get to that point in our lives where things are so difficult. We're just like, you know what? I'm not growing. I'm not getting what I need. I'm not... I'm just, I'm going to bolt. I'm going I'm to go somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. And I see this all the time. When in actuality, the friction that you're feeling, the difficulty that you're going through, is God's plan for your life. It's so hard for us because in the suffering, in the difficulty, in the temptation, we, we don't see the end result. But God sees it. He knows. He's like, man, I am working my will and my plan in your life. You're struggling. You feel dry. You feel like there's no good thing going to come out of this suffering you're going through. And God, all the while, standing right beside you, goes, yes, yes, yes. This is what I'm doing. I got good plans for you, just like those songs that we were singing, just like those scriptures that that little girl was quoting, that God, before time, had set good things aside for you to do. And I'm telling you right now that the suffering that you're going through is a good thing, that he's growing you through it, that you're, you're struggling, you're going, man, I, I got to go somewhere else, I got to do something, I don't know about this Christianity thing, and all the while, this is the work, this is the great work that God is doing in and through your life, don't miss it, don't miss this supernatural work that God's doing because of the struggle, because of the temptation, because of the trial, it's all a part of God's plan. It's all a part of God's love for us. The Bible says that he chastises the ones he loves. He disciplines the one he loves. And it's a hard statement, but it's true. He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. I don't care if you're a pastor, a deacon, an elder, just a congregant, or a pre-Christian. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And change, I'll tell you what, change is hard for us. <laughs> Human beings struggle with change. It hurts. It just hurts. So you see what God's doing through Paul here. They're asking, what do we do? How do we deal with sin and failures? How do we do church together properly? How do we deal with our history of pagan worship? And Paul has over and over and over again pointed them to Christ. He's pointed them to the gospel. Check it out, verse 25. Paul goes on to say, eat whatever is sold in the market. They had asked these questions. What do we eat? How do we do this stuff? Eat whatever sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's that freedom, that Christian liberty. 
if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. All right, a lot of stuff there. Let's just stop for a second. About 99% of the meat at an unbeliever's gathering back in Bible times would have been offered to idols. I mean, idol worship, pagan worship was just rampant. I mean, so all this meat, if you were, you know, a Christian back then, you were invited to go to an unbeliever's, like, a wedding, shower party, whatever it would be, it would, 99% of that meat would have been offered to idols. So that was going to happen. Paul says, eat it. Just eat it. Don't ask. Don't worry about it. Just eat it. But if you have a Christian friend there with you who came out of pagan idol worship and, and they see this and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, this takes me back to my pagan worship times where I was with the, you know, the, the harlots in the pagan worship times. They're all this overeating and overindulging and sexual immorality and all this other stuff. And they see this meat come out and you're with this other Christian. They say, hold on, Matt, don't you, that's offered to idols and that's some bad stuff. I came out of a lifestyle of that. It's, that's not good. Paul says, don't eat it. If it's going to cause your brother to stumble, don't eat it. Don't do that. I was trying to think of like, what's a good example for us today since, I mean, you know, we have all that meat offered idols here in North Canton, right? No, I was thinking about what's that mean for us? You know, what alcohol is a great example of this right? If we're, if we go to, let's say we're at a wedding and we're with our Christian buddy, you know, and, and, and they offer a champagne toast at the end of the wedding and, and your buddy looks over at you and he says, I got three years clean, man. I can't, I just can't. Don't drink it right there in front of them. You know what? That would be awful, right? Somebody who's struggled with and worked through addiction and you're over there, you grab your champagne, like, woo, this is, right? Let's just use some common sense here. But let's be unified. Like my freedom, my, my Christian liberty is limited by my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It's this unity thing that just comes back over and over and over again. Over and over again. So whether you eat or drink, I love it how he takes it in 31, right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Crazy statement again by Paul. I don't know about you, but as I'm working through these texts that Paul's talking about, I have been challenged over and over again, right? That is a challenging statement again. Just as I try to please everyone with everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Do you remember that statement from last week or the week? I'm trying to remember which week it was. That they may be saved. Paul over and over again is talking about salvation. You're worried about what food to eat. You're worried about what you're doing in these circumstances. I'm worried about bringing people to Christ. I'm worried that there are people in my life that are going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. And you're worried about what meat to eat? Come on. 
We have neighbors and friends and family members that don't know Christ yet. You know, and we're worried about the seventh Bible study book we're trying to find. Bible study books are great, don't get me wrong. But there's bigger things at stake here. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Do the Christian disciplines. We talked about those just a couple weeks ago. But remember, we have a mission. We have a mission field. And people's lives are at stake. People's eternities are at stake. Paul keeps pointing us back to back over and over again to this thing. Just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many, but that of many, and that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Your last filling in the notes today is this. God's glory is our main concern. God's glory is our main concern. And this is our witness to the world. God's glory is my main concern. And that right there is our witness to the world. Paul is helping the church in Corinth to continue the worldview shift, going from selfishness to selflessness, going from Matt is the center to Christ is the center. Paul points us to Christ. When Jesus is the center, when God's glory is our main concern, our lives become a witness to the world to salvation. Okay, let me say that again. Huge. When Jesus is the center, when God's glory is our main concern, our lives become a witness to the world to salvation. It's not just what you do, but who you know. Because once you know Jesus, you live differently. When you continue to grow closer to Jesus, you continue to live differently. When we remember what Jesus has done for us, our desires change. Our priorities shift. Unity in the church. Christian living. Living out the disciplines. All of this, all of it. Evangelism grows and finds its power and strength in our relationship with Christ that we would be living out the good news, the gospel of Jesus, preaching it to ourselves 24-7, remembering and, and meditating on God's word and God's truth and the person of Jesus Christ. And out of that will flow great evangelism. Out of that will flow great unity in the church. Out of that will flow great holy living for God because of the Holy Spirit's work in us, growing us closer and closer to him. This is why the gospel is so important. This is why the disciplines are so important. Because they fuel and propel us towards love. That cyclical journey of growing closer and closer to the Lord. Letting that overflow into our lives with others. And then growing closer and closer with the Lord. And it just overflows out of us to those around us. Powerful stuff. There's a couple of things that I think we really need to walk away with today. The first one is this. If you're going through something really difficult, don't miss the miracle in the mess. Don't miss the miracle in the mess. I was so funny. You know how God works. I've been reading this little book 
for a long time because work, I'm working through about three or four books right now. And this one's A Guide to Christian Living by John Calvin. And it's been sitting beside my, my reading chair for a long time because I'm, I'm almost done with it. But I was reading something else. And I pick it up, I think it was last night or this morning. And I, I started reading and it says this. Now, since we really like only what we think is good and beneficial for us, the Father of mercy comforts us here also. He's talking about temptation and tests and trials. For he assures us that when he sends affliction through the cross, he is acting for our salvation. If trials are useful to us, and I underline this next line, if trials are useful to us, why should we not accept them calmly and with thankful hearts? Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? If trials, temptations, suffer is for our good, if God's good, he's our father, that he's sovereign, that he knows all things, he knows the beginning, the middle, and the end, and he sees it, and he's planning these good things for us, and he's allowing this trial, this, this suffering, this temptation into my life, why should we not then accept it calmly? I like how he put calmly. Because when I go through stuff like this, if you're in this right now, I don't go through it calmly. I don't know about you, but I can't sleep. I can't hardly eat. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm trying to make things work and do all these things. But not, why should we not accept them calmly and with thankful hearts? Therefore, when we suffer patiently, we are not surrendering to our own desires or our want for an easy life or finding an easy way out. Instead, we are consenting with what is good for us. This, I believe, explains why the more our hearts are gripped by the natural bitterness of the cross, the more they are filled with spiritual joy. Man, what a, what a state. It's a great little book, Guide to Christian Living, John Calvin. But I, that's the first thing, I think, is if you're going through something really hard, don't miss what God's doing in that really difficult thing. Calmly, patiently pursue Christ if you're working through something like that. And the other one is this. If things are going well and life is going good, don't forget who's blessed your life, right? That was we experience these gifts and, and joys and happiness from God, recognizing that our worship would just explode, Right? That we would be the loudest worshiping church in Northeast Ohio because of the blessings that God's poured out on our lives. And really the underlying truth in both of those things is going after Jesus. So Mission View, let's be a church that goes after Jesus no matter what we're facing. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. It's, it's a difficult word. These trials and these temptations, suffering in our life, God, it's difficult. And I don't want to minimize any of that. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be, be a comfort to those here who are suffering, those watching us online who are suffering. Meet with them now, encourage them. Give them endurance, Father. And for those here, Lord, that are, are, are walking through their journey with you, Father, grow us deeper, call us deeper, we want a fresh revelation of your love through the person of Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, open our ears. Challenge us and draw us deeper, draw us near. 
that we would surrender to you in worship, that we would be a loud worshiping people because we are so thankful, so grateful for the work that you've done in our lives. We thank you for this word this morning. Let us sink deep into our hearts and bear fruit for your kingdom, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.